like Becky was describing in that video, whether you've had those moments in your life, maybe you're in one right now where you think, this isn't it, surely this isn't all they're supposed to be, this isn't all they're supposed to be to life or to faith. I wonder if you resonate with what Becky was talking about there. Through this series, we're discovering that ancient path back to, to finding what it might be, and we're encouraging one another to take next steps down that path. And we're saying, what if the it that we're searching for, the it that we're looking for, isn't a, a, a place or a destination? What if it's a someone? And what if it's about becoming more like that someone as we journey towards them? And what if that means in our lives thinking about things like our relationships and our mindsets and our habits and our priorities as a way to move us towards that someone, towards the it that we're all looking for? And today I get to talk about real relationships, real relationships. I asked our staff team uh, this week, uh, I said to them, is there something interesting about you? Something that maybe nobody would know about you, even though they might know you reasonably well. And, and here are some facts about our staff team. So here, here, here they are. One of the members of our staff team carried the Olympic torch in 2012. Another member of our staff team has auditioned for X Factor. Another member of our team rescued an elephant. Another one is trained as an interior decorator, which is useful information, I think. Another one of them kissed a camel. Another one of them sustained the two most serious injuries they've ever experienced in their life from plant pots. Another one of them model, has modelled suits on a runway, which I sought some clarification for. That's a fashion runway, not an airport runway. And we asked some people in the studio before the service uh, on the live stream to let us know what sorts of things people might not know about them. And we had one or two people sharing some interesting facts uh, about them. One, one of the hosts in the studio, I won't tell you who, uh, talked about the fact that they can't abide chewing, the sound of chewing. And it just makes, <laughs> this is their language, I'm not looking at who it was, this is their language, makes them want to punch people in the face when they hear that sound. So that was quite a confession, you'll have to go back and watch that if you weren't on the live stream, if you're in the room this morning to find out who that was. You know, there's a lot we don't know each, about each other, isn't there? I mean, some of those staff team people that I was speaking about, I've served in this church on the staff team with for seven years, and I never knew that stuff about them. There's a lot of stuff we don't know, do we, about each other that What's really lying below the surface? And the, the truth is, so much actually of who we are lies below the surface, like an iceberg. You know, on the surface we may present in a given way, but under the surface there's this great mass of stuff that maybe we don't show to people. And this stuff that is under the surface within us is often the, the result of, or often has been formed by, Things that we experience in our lives, maybe the joys of our lives, maybe the talents and skills that we've developed, maybe the pain and trauma of our lives have shaped what lies under the surface. Maybe our insecurities shape what lies beneath the surface. And so often we are scared to reveal what actually is under the surface of our lives. We're scared to reveal that to people because we're worried that they will reject us. If they really knew what was down here, then they would reject us or they dislike us 
or they would judge us. So we're scared to reveal that. And so there is a huge temptation. There's a temptation for us to put on masks so that we don't show to people what's really going on. There's a temptation to put on a show, or there's a temptation to isolate ourselves or push people away and keep everybody at a safe distance. And that's all in a desperate attempt to hide what really lies below the surface. There are two key problems with that, I think. Problem number one is that we actually, deep down, have a desire to know and to be fully known. To be known for who we really are, to be loved unconditionally, to be accepted just as we are. So because of that problem that we have that going on, there's this tension in us between what we're scared to reveal to other people and this desire to be fully known. So we live in this tension and it makes us miserable. And the truth is that this is real for us, whether we would call ourselves people of faith or not. We are all in the same boat when it comes to this. So if you're brand new to this whole church thing or to this whole Christian faith thing, to this whole God thing, if you're exploring all of that, then what we're talking about today is just as valid for you as it is for people who've been around church a long time. We all do this, whether we're people of faith or not. And we think to ourselves then, when we're in that tension and we're feeling miserable, we think to ourselves, this, this can't be it, can it? Surely this can't be it. Surely there is meant to be more to our relationships than this. They don't feel real to us. This isn't it, is it? How do we build relationships that actually reach below the surface? And the second problem with all of this is when we put on these masks and we use them to relate to people, we're never too sure then, are people really liking us for us or are they liking the masked version of us? Are they actually simply tolerating us? You know, our culture and our society talks about tolerance these days an awful lot. I looked up in the dictionary, in the Oxford Dictionary, what the definition of tolerance is. And the definition of tolerance is this, the ability or willingness to put up with someone or something, especially opinions or behavior that you may not agree with or people who are not like you. It goes on, the ability to deal with something unpleasant or annoying. It's the definition of tolerance. And as I say, tolerance is a big deal in our culture right now. It's become actually a sacred cow to our culture. Don't get in the way of tolerance. And in fact, it's become so much of a sacred cow and so much of a virtue and a value to our society that other virtues and values that we have clung on to for hundreds of years are being pushed out because of this one. Values like freedom of speech. And that's really scary, I think. And our society and our culture is telling us so often that tolerance is the end goal of our relationships with one another. And you know, if tolerance is the end goal of our relationships with each other, then I'm certain we're in trouble. Because is that really what we want? Surely that isn't it when it comes to our relationships. That can't be a real relationship, can, I? can it? I mean, do you want to be tolerated? Do you want to be put up with, to be dealt with as something unpleasant or annoying? That doesn't sound like a goal for relationships. That doesn't sound like a real relationship to me. Surely that can't be it. That's not a real relationship. So problem number two is it leads us to wonder, are we simply being tolerated? But if those 
things aren't it. If, if this isn't it when it comes to our relationships, well, what is? I've got a few thoughts on that. Uh, because here's what I think I would like when it comes to a relationship. I want to be accepted just as I am. I want to be invited to the table just as I am. I want to be valued just as I am. Don't you want that too? Isn't that actually the cry of the human soul? Whether we would call ourselves people of faith or not. And the really good news is that we can find a foundation for real relationships. As Becky said in that intro video, the really good news is, is there is an ancient path that we can follow to find real relationships. And, you know, that's so important because when we are fully known and fully loved, it enables us to know and to fully love in return. Now, I want to go to rather an unusual story in the Bible today, not, not one that you'd necessarily go to uh, very quickly, and one that maybe you think as I talk about it, well, that's weird for him to be talking about when it comes to real relationships, but let me, uh, I'm going to try and explain why as we go through this. I want to go to the Old Testament part of the Bible, to an Old Testament prophet who was a guy called Hosea. He lived in the 8th century B.C., He lived at a time where God had, years before, set up a group of people, the people of Israel, to be like a light to the nations, to show people what a relationship with God and what a relationship with one another should look like. But that that people, the people of Israel, I mean, they messed things up a lot. Uh, They had some great times, but they had some really challenging ones too. And they're in a challenging one when we find them in the 8th century BC because they split into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah. They have kings ruling over the kingdoms, and they are often very bad kings and lead people in the way that they shouldn't go. And God raises up people, often from very humble circumstances, to challenge those kings and those kingdoms and to encourage them to pursue God instead of what they're pursuing. And the Old Testament book of Hosea uh, documents his sermons over a 25-year period uh, to the people of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, calling them and inviting them and urging them to listen to what God would say to them. But the first three chapters of the book of Hosea reveal to us what is beneath the surface in Hosea's life and in his relationships. So on the surface, we've got these presentations of all these sermons over a 25-year period, and so on and so on. But the first three chapters tell us what was actually beneath the surface in Hosea's life. And the reason why this is important, as we're about to discover, is because Hosea's relationships, and in particular his marriage, is symbolic of a relationship between God and human beings. And the second one is because it does this. It reveals to us what's beneath the surface. And so often, the Bible is brilliant for this and just showing us what's behind the mask and what's really going on and how is God involved in all of that. So we're going to go to uh, Hosea in the Old Testament. We're going to go to chapter 1. We're just going to look at a couple of verses from chapter 1, a couple from chapter 3 to set this background. So here we go. So God comes to Hosea. It says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Dibleim, and she uh, conceived and bore him a son. This is a bit weird, right? So God says to Hosea, I want you to go and marry someone who's uh, promiscuous, who's unfaithful, who's sleeping around. I want you to go and marry her. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think this is what Hosea's proud parents had in mind when they thought about Hosea's wedding day. 
This was not necessarily the person they thought he was going to marry. And she is indeed unfaithful to him. And a little bit later on, in chapter 3, we find what God says to Hosea in terms of dealing with this unfaithfulness. The Lord said to me, this is to Hosea, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man, as is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Now, we're going to come and talk about this in a moment, but I know what you're all worrying about right now. You're not going to listen to anything else I say unless I explain the raisin cakes thing to you. I understand that, right? So let's get that out of the way, first of all. Nothing wrong with raisin cakes. If you had malt loaf for your breakfast this morning, you are okay. You are not going to hell. You are all right. Okay, but in this context, in the context in which Hosea was living in, raisin cakes were used by um, other faith uh, uh, um, religions or by people who wanted to uh, follow idols or other gods from the one true God. And they would present to them, and this is a bit weird, I don't know why you would do this, but they presented to them raisin cakes as a sacrifice which is slightly an odd thing to sacrifice, right? But anyway, that's what they did. So when they wanted to go and worship other gods, they would go with raisin cakes. So here, it's nothing wrong with a raisin cake. In other parts of the Bible, people are eating raisin cakes. It's all okay. In this bit, okay, it's about not going and worshiping other gods, turning away from God to worship idols. And that's what they've been doing. So uh, God says, uh, uh, um, love her as I love the people, even though they're turning away to other things following their own selfish desires. Right, raisin cakes dealt with. Let's get back to uh, the rest of of this. I think it's really interesting that by the time we get to chapter 3 with this under-the-surface stuff in Hosea's life, which is not perfect, which is all going a bit wrong, Hosea now starts talking very personally. In chapter 1, he's talking in the third person as he writes this book. Here, he's saying, the Lord said to me, This is now about intimacy, you see. And I think there's something here about maybe the pain that Hosea has experienced in his life now means it's coming out of him in a more intimate way, in a more intimate connection with God. We're really getting into the pain, into the nitty-gritty of this story now. But once again, as God was the initiator in the first instance by saying to uh, Hosea, go and marry Gomer, now God is encouraging uh, Hosea to be the initiator again. Go, he says. Go. Show your love to your wife again. And Hosea followed God's call, that initiation from God, to go, to be reconciled with Gomer, to restore the marriage, and he is motivated by by God for that purpose, and he's motivated by God for that process of reconciliation and forgiveness. And that would not be a natural desire, right? I mean, all of us, I think, would uh, resonate potentially with Hosea's desire for revenge or to lash out, or at the very best, to tolerate But God has something different in mind, and it starts with the word go. Go, move, take action, take a step. This thing that God is initiating is an action. It involves doing something and moving. And maybe he would feel like she doesn't deserve it. Maybe we would feel that way. But Hosea is still called to go, even though there's all this stuff below the surface in the iceberg of that relationship, all that stuff, the pain, the trauma, the betrayal, all below the surface. Hosea is still called to make a move. And this gives us a picture, and this is why this story is so important, gives us a picture of what God initiates with his people and with us. See, tolerance is passive. It sits back 
It to- you can tolerate someone and their behaviors without actually doing anything or making any moves towards them. You can tolerate somebody and their views or indeed who they are, and that can be very, very passive. God's saying that it's something different. Hosea is called to accept her and to love her, not to put up with her. And that's active. Hosea's love for his wife, despite all that lies below the surface, is a picture of God's love for the people of Israel and for all of humankind. And Hosea's love for Gomer is to be patterned after God's love because God sets the example. See, God knows what lies beneath the surface and he reaches out anyway. God understands what we would want to keep hidden and nobody know about us. And God reaches out to us anyway. God sees all the stuff that lies under the surface, that lies under the water, and that leads to us turning our backs on him. And he reaches out to us anyway. A writer and author, Gary Smith, when writing about uh, these verses and writing about this um, comparison between what's going on for Hosea and Gomer and what's going on uh, between God and human beings, he says this, this divine comparison identifies the kind of love Hosea needs to exhibit. It is not selfish, remorseful, or a begrudged requirement, my word tolerance, but an exciting, excited giving of oneself to people. See, God does not accept and love you begrudgingly. He does not tolerate you. He gives his acceptance and his love excitedly. And that may be incomprehensible for us, maybe. It may be incomprehensible for us to think that Hosea would do this to Gomer, but he does. Hosea accepts and forgives her and loves her. It doesn't mean, by the way, he agrees with her behavior. But you see, tolerance implies putting up with something, but this is different Genuine love for people doesn't put up with people. It accepts them, but it does also want the best for them. And if you read on in the story, you find that reconciliation happens. It costs Hosea something. Because um, through her behavior, Gomer is ended up indebted to somebody. So uh, Hosea has to pay off the debts. He pays a price to restore that relationship. You know, real relationships cost us something. A real relationship for God to have with us cost him something. And in his case, it cost him his son, Jesus, who died on a cross. That was the cost, the price that God paid to be reconciled to us. And in Hosea, in the story, again, if you read on, there's a beautiful and and final act of reconciliation and redemption when they recommit to each other. You see, the story of Hosea and Gomer is about a real relationship. It's actually not about tolerance at all. It's about acceptance and love. You see, tolerance puts up with people begrudgingly. You can tolerate somebody without forgiving them. You can tolerate somebody without loving them. You can tolerate somebody without accepting them. That is not a real relationship. That is not it. That is not the it we are looking for in our relationships. This is not a story, the story of Hosea and Gomer, of tolerance. It's a story of true acceptance. And it's a story about something God puts much higher than tolerance. Because it's a story about grace. You see, the it when it comes to relationships for God is not tolerance. It is grace. 
And grace is way better than tolerance. Grace is about a real relationship. And this picture between Hosea and Gomer is a picture of God's grace towards the people of Israel and towards all of humankind. Really want you to hear this loudly and clearly this morning. God does not tolerate you. God does not put up with you begrudgingly. God's gift to you and me is grace, acceptance, love. God sees you and I. He knows what lies below the surface. He knows what we are scared to reveal. He knows what we would want to keep hidden. God sees that stuff, but he reaches out to us anyway. That is grace. And it provides a solution for us to our desire for real relationships, not just with God, but with other people too. Because it is easier to share ourselves with others when we know that God loves us just as we are. It makes it easier for us to share ourselves with others. It makes it easy for, uh, easier for us to draw closer to others rather than isolating ourselves or pushing other people away. It draws us closer to other people. It means it's okay for us to share what's really going on in our lives because God has seen it and loves us anyway. And God makes this foundational thing that's so important for real relationships possible for all of us by giving us Jesus. Jesus puts a solution to our deepest need on the table. The possibility of having a real relationship with God that leads us into real relationships with others. And God says, I want to show you a picture of grace, a visible picture, so you know exactly what we're talking about. So God says, here's the picture, my son on a cross. It's the picture I want you to see of grace. You know, we're not talking here about some vague connection to an unknown being. We're talking about a relationship with a personal father who knows us deeply and who loves us, saves us, and strengthens us, and who we can know and love right back. See, when it comes to real relationships, it is a person. The it we are looking for is a person, not a destination. The it is a relationship that goes beneath the surface, that's real. And in and through Jesus, we're able to have that real relationship with God. We can receive and accept grace. We can receive and accept love from the one who fully knows us, who really sees below the surface. And that real relationship with God gives us a foundation upon which to build all our other relationships because it gives us a foundation of assurance. Because God knows and loves us just as we are, and we can share that with others. So a real relationship with God gives us a foundation of assurance, which means we can share ourselves to others. And when we commit to sharing the fullness of what is below the surface with God and with others, we can be properly seen and heard. And when we are seen and heard, we can be understood. And when we are understood, we can become known as ourselves. And when we are known as ourselves, we can be loved as we are. And when we are loved as we are, we can be saved from ourselves. And when we are saved from ourselves, we can be strengthened in life. And when we we are strengthened, we in turn can become a force for love in the world. And it starts with a foundation of a real relationship with God. That's why it's vital that we build real relationships. And it starts with the steps we take to move 
to accept God's love and then to move towards others. It starts with accepting and receiving grace. And it starts accepting and receiving that a real relationship with God is possible because of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these incredible stories. I just love them so much that we see weaving their way all the way through your story to us in the Bible that just give us these pictures of real people wrestling with real stuff that points to a real God. And we thank you for that picture of grace we see in the story of Hosea and Gomer, and we thank you that that gives us a connection to, to the grace that you have shown to humankind, to us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you reach out to us, that you see below the surface. Thank you that when we allow you to reach below the surface, to give us that acceptance love, it enables us to do that with other people. We were reminded so brilliantly this morning at our first service of a picture of, you know, once, once you start allowing what's below the surface of the iceberg of your relationships to melt, as you slowly reveal that to other people, eventually, you know, the iceberg turns upside down. And what was hidden becomes on the surface. It's what God longs to do for you and for I in our relationships with him and our relationships with other people. Thank you, Lord God, that that's what you long for for us. Help us to accept and to receive it, we pray. Amen. Now, we're going to spend some time singing some songs. We're going to pray again in a little bit. And we're going to use these, I hope, to um, draw us in once again, or maybe for the first time, into that connection with the God, the Father, the personal Father who loves us, and to accept what he's done for us. And we're going to do that as we sing our first song together. Come to the altar. Thanks, Alex.